it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ryan Zinke is going to be on in 15 minutes. Bottom of the hour, Senator Ron Johnson, and of course you. Uh, you know the phone number, one 866 Here we are, the Wednesday edition of a lot going on. The inflation numbers are just in. They're stunningly high, 9.1%. And the president has landed in Israel. We'll talk about that impact. The market is down almost 300 points, uh, and it has just opened up. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Here's the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Yeah, you're all the same, Jack, in denial. That's what Joe Biden is right now as he claims Democrats still want him to run for another four. Yet we will bring you the state of the game and how he matches up with Trump and how Trump matches up with the possible primary field. Number two. Congress on, on peace talks. You've got a caretaker Israeli government. You're going to have the fifth round of elections in a couple of years in Israel any month now. He doesn't have a big agenda. President Roadshow lands in Israel, ends in Saudi Arabia. The problem? They are still focused on Iran, threatening to destroy amazing gains of Trump's four years. Joe, if it ain't broke, just don't break it and stop begging for foreign oil when we have our own. Number one. 9.1% year over year, much hotter than expected. 1981 is the last time that we have seen an inflationary number this high. It is true. That is show Cassoni on FBN. Inflation nations, 40-year high as the cost, uh, cost of everything soars. The Biden team's reaction, those new numbers, they're old. No joke. I'm not kidding. So you think I'm kidding. That's what they were saying yesterday. Yeah, the number's going to be a little bit higher when it comes to inflation. They projected. They probably knew. But it's only because they didn't take into account that gas has dropped. Yes, national gas average is 463. Stunning. But it's less than 501, which it was last month. And factor in that when inflation was 8.6%. Now it's 9.1%. No one's buying that it's an old number. And that's what gets people concerned. Because the number's going up. The president's counting on the Fed to up interest rates, which we know as maybe the macroeconomic expert next door to you says that's the right thing to do. But if you're trying to buy a house, get a new house, credit cards, first house, these interest rates are affecting everything you do as well. So in an effort to control inflation that increases prices on goods, they increase interest rates, which stops you from maybe going out to dinner. Maybe betting at getting a house. Ethan Harris, Bank of America, uh, he's, a, a, he's an analyst. He says this on the, on the recession possibilities. What seems to be forgotten here is that inflation is sticky, slow-moving variable. Its spikes can reverse quickly, but underlying inflation tends to move in a gradual, lagged fashion with respect to the economy. It's going to take time to cool off the labor market and even more time to lower labor costs that are driven by inflation. 
So that's some of the things to keep in mind as we talk about where the economy is right now. Meanwhile, the president of the United States numbers are not great. And this is the problem. The combination of that, him not passing the radical left-wing agenda like Build Back Better, being able to pack the court, blow up the filibuster, his, his crazy left-wingers are mad at him. Looking at his numbers, he has 26% of Democrats who want him to run another four years. 92% of Democrats under 30 don't want him to run. The only thing he does have against Trump in this New York Times-Siena poll, he beats Trump by three points. And he says, the poll reveals, that if he was to run against Trump again, 92% of Democrats would vote for him. And that's what he's holding on to. Cut one. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they Read don't. Read the polls. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no, 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. <laughs> hmm. So that's what he wants to hold on to. I guess technically it's accurate, but the follow-up would be for the questioner would be, but that's only if you're right against Trump, 92% would, would support you. And 95% of Republicans would support any Republican that ran against Joe Biden. It means nothing. And it does not even surprise me that 92% would vote against Donald Trump. That's how he got in the first place. Here's the really disturbing thing. Two-thirds of independents disapprove of the president's job performance. Overall, Democrats have given him 70 percent approval, but overall he's at 33 percent because nobody else thinks he's doing a good job. So these are some of the numbers that has the president's glad he's in Israel right now. But President Biden not backing off. Juan Williams has got his back on special report. Believe it or not, he found some good cut to. Clearly, the bad, there was bad news there, Bill, uh, about the number of Democrats who are, you know, despairing about Biden and don't really want him to run. But he's right. Uh, let's, let's give credit where credit's due. If he runs and it's against Donald Trump, he's right. Ninety, what did he say? Ninety-two percent or something would vote. Ninety-two percent of Democrats would vote for him. I mean, you got to realize that in part this is a dilemma. What we saw in that New York Times Siena poll was. There's like half of Republicans who are still behind Donald Trump, but half who are not, especially younger Republicans, college-educated Republicans. That's a big challenge for Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, trying to get a majority in the Senate, uh-huh. for Kevin McCarthy in the House, because they've they got a balancing act. How can you—they can't lose either one of those contingencies yeah. and, and expect to win in the midterms. Yeah, and they're not. And, and But by the way, the numbers are kind of uh, equaling out a little bit in these overall New York Times polls when it comes to who do you prefer in power, Democrats or Republicans, are within a point of each other, which is stunning. But if you consider two things, guns and uh, Roe v. Wade, it's swung the balance a little bit back for now in July to Democrats, put them back in the game, some say. But ton of money is coming into Kevin McCarthy's coffers big time. So what does that mean in the big picture? It means the president needs some wins. And we're coming up with a one-year anniversary as the biggest loss. And that's our evacuation of Afghanistan. We lost lives on the way out. All our allies were caught behind enemy lines. We had to use retired guys to get people out. 
Meanwhile, the Middle East, what's at stake? The president's ridiculously is still holding on to the Iranian deal, alienating him from any deep thinker in Israel and most of the Sunni Middle East, which is most of the Middle East. So outside Syria, for example, Richard Haas on the president's prospects for big breakthroughs. Cut seven doesn't really have much in the way of objectives, Willie. For so long, the Israeli-Arab fault line, the Israeli-Palestinian fault line was the defining line of the Middle East. It isn't anymore. There's no prospects for progress on, on peace talks. You've got a caretaker Israeli government. You're going to have the fifth round of elections in a couple of years in Israel any month now. He doesn't have a big agenda. They'll talk a little bit about coordination on Iran, maybe about the potential potential one day for some breakthrough with Israel-Saudi Arabia relations, but nothing's going to happen on what we used to call the peace process. Right. That's Richard Haas, uh, we know from foreign policy. So listen, when we come back, I'm going to talk to Ryan Zinke about that, what's happening overseas. The fact is the president, in a ridiculous move, had his State Department come out with a st- statement saying, or his White House communications team, the president won't be shaking hands overseas because he's worried about COVID. That, according to doctors, really? So the day before yesterday, he's shaking hands with hundreds of people on the White House lawn. He shook hands with everybody at the G7. But now that I'm in the Middle East, I don't want to shake hands. Why is that? He does not want to be seen shaking hands with MBS, a man he called a pariah. I sense the Saudis might try to corner him. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, the Middle East show is not seized by the Ukraine-Russia war. Uh, To the extent there's now a common concern in much of the Middle East, it's Iran. You know, for years, as I was saying to Willie, it was the Israeli-Palestinian dispute, Israeli-Arab dispute. Then it was Iraq under Saddam Hussein. Now the real concern is Iran. And Russia is a economic partner to some extent with Saudi Arabia. The Israelis have been coordinating with Russia on Syria. They're worried about the large Jewish population in in Russia. So the president is not going to get great support for the Ukraine policy there. By the way, that's true of much of the rest of the world. Much of the world is not lining up with us. When we frame this as a matter of democracy against authoritarianism, much of the world is not democratic. Yeah, no kidding. And he also continues to hold on to the Iranian deal inexplicably. Ryan Zinke, the former U.S. Secretary of the Interior, former congressman from Montana, wants to be back there in Congress uh, in the new 1st Congressional District, joins us now. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. Great to be with you, as always. So this kind of interesting— Well, we know know what failure looks like, because we're looking at failure. We're looking at failure across the board. 
I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to look at success, what success would look like, because we need some success, because this, this administration, I don't think any of us seen anything like it. So uh, you did win the nomination on the right, and you'll be going against Monica Trinnell. I guess you had, that's how you say her name in Montana. Best of luck in the sprint. You've been there before. Uh, you're strongly favored to win. So he lands in Israel. Right now they have an interim government, So and there's not much controversy. The president took care of that. Do you think he's going to look to undo the, the foundation of the Abraham Accords? Well, he's certainly taking a stab at it, and you know, the threat is the Iranian nuclear deal. It was bad in the beginning. It was actually the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, we we gave a legitimate pathway for Iran to acquire ICBMs, to acquire the delivery vehicles without impediment, without impediment. They were launching, and remember, they were launching ICBMs with kill, death to Israel painted on the side of it. And and their centrifuges continue to go, and they are building a nuclear weapon. There is no doubt about it. And remember, the inspection of the sites also was limited. Of course, they move the facilities to a military facility, and they don't, they don't allow any 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 you know foreign inspectors to those facilities. It is a bad deal that will result in Iran having a nuclear weapon, which will, in my opinion, will cause an arms race in the Middle East. Because Saudi, Saudi Arabia is not going to stand by while Iran has a nuclear weapon. And Saudi Arabia, hardly not a beacon of democracy. We know they do some horrific things, but they are a better ally in the region, in the real political world. So we're looking at Saudi Arabia was on the doorstep of recognizing Israel uh, as a right to exist and setting up trade relations. That has to go on hold until he can get some trust in this administration. How do you approach it? You've been behind closed doors in high level, uh, high level talks. How do you approach it if you're President Biden when you get to Saudi Arabia? Well, you know, Saudi Arabia, I would enter uh, negotiations about Saudi Arabia entering the, the Abraham Accords. Uh, that certainly would be a game changer in the Middle East. Uh, as you point out, uh, they're not a democracy. Uh, they have issues at the top, but they have been more of an ally uh, than not over the, over the course of time. And they are an integral part of the Middle East. You know, certainly they provide a a counter to Iran. And, and given the threat in the Middle East, I think Iran remains number one, still the number one uh, sponsor of terrorism worldwide. And I'm sensitive to Iran because Iran personally funded you know, logistics, tactics, techniques, equipment, and explosives uh, that our U.S. servicemen paid the ultimate price for. Uh, of course, and you have a former Navy SEAL, in case people do not know, this number just came across. Inflation, instead of being 8.8 above the 8.6, which is horrifically high, the, the new inflation number, you may not know, is now 9.1%. Energy is up 7.8% month-to-month, 41% year-to-year. Gas is up 11% month-to-month, 60% year-to-year. The market has responded by dropping 350 points. The president overseas in a trip... That we do, we know there's big downside because he's got an agenda that's it's counter uh, to this previous administrations. Maybe just for that reason. What's your reaction to these numbers? Well, I, I think in, in Montana, I think the inflation numbers are probably low because distances are longer. We're at the end of the supply chain, but it seems like Brian, nothing is working. 
across the board. You have high price gas, and gas should be about two bucks a gallon. You have groceries that, for a lot of Americans, it, you know, they no longer can can buy chicken even. Uh, you know, they have to make very, very, very critical choices. We don't have baby formula. I mean, we're the United States of America. We can't figure out baby formula. But these things are, 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 are fixable with good leadership. And, and the Biden administration is it's almost like the Ghostbusters where all of a sudden every norm, you know, cats are into dogs, uh, boys want to be girls. It seems like the, every standard and every tradition of the United States is beginning to crumble because this administration, I don't think, has the right vision for this country. And socialism doesn't work. It does not work. So here is Josh Hawley. This is what you're referring to yesterday, speaking to this Berkeley professor in a meeting about Roe v. Wade, the aftermath and the implications. Listen to them get into a gender defining conversation. Cut 24. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think women can get <laughs> So you pregnant. are denying that trans people like this thing? And that leads to violence? Do you, I mean, would, can you wrap your head around that? No. You know the the, the whole. The, let's let's look at what the core is here. Is this 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 administration wants to change the fundamental traditions of of, of America? Whether it's whether it's you know, identify having children, identify themselves as whatever before they're before they're eighteen. And look, in, 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 in children, it, it's the same, the same thing as but if you want a, a child to determine breakfast in the morning, it'll probably be Captain Crunch and Lucky Charms. That's why you're children and you need an, an adult. And a lot of this, quite frankly, Brian, is a breakdown of the family. And, and, and if there's one thing I think America can do is focus on the family for a while, because without parents, without, without a, a place for children to have a nurturing environment, you see the consequences. Right. Can you believe that people are paying to go to Berkeley to hear idiots like that speak? And do you believe these are the same people that want to rewrite our history? They want to rewrite gender rules, what a boy and girl is. We have a Supreme Court justice who can't identify a woman. And now we also want to put down Thomas Jefferson and James Madison in their historical homes. Final thought. We've got 20 well, you seconds. you know what? It, it, it's not going to happen because, because we're going to win the fall. Uh, we're going to defend the Constitution of the United States. We're going we're gonna to have an agenda that the American public looks at and supports because we're not going to let them take our country, and we're going to take our country back, and we're going to do the right thing. Gotcha. Congressman Ryan Zinke wants back in. Uh, make sure you support him. Thanks so much, Congressman. Senator Ron Johnson next.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We will continue to see these numbers go up and up and up. They're, it's accelerating, and this thing is out of control. If it affects their everyday family, of course, by buying groceries, by buying things, their wages often are fixed. Right. You've got the stock market mm -hmm. coming down. Some of them have had wealth. They have checking accounts. Mm -hmm. All of those are being eaten away by this inflation at an ever-increasing right. rate. And just for the record, I'm old enough that I lived through all that period before I was with Reagan and I was before that with the Nixon administration. And so I saw inflation firsthand. Right. This is about as bad as it gets. All right, uh, and uh, combined with the right. employment numbers, which are not good for this administration, I don't see how they pull out of a crash. But our, you know, unemployment is good, uh, but there's so many open jobs, it blunts the success many would feel. 9.1% is the inflation number that had Art Laffer beside himself. Senator Ron Johnson was in the real world before he decided politics. Had tremendous success there and is going for six more years in Wisconsin. Senator, welcome back. I got to get your businessman reaction to the 9.1% inflation. Can you put that in real person terms? Well, good morning, Brian. Well, it's incredibly harmful for our economy. It's really harmful for Seniors on a fixed income, people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. Uh, inflation is, is a tax on everybody, but it's an incredibly uh, regressive tax on, again, seniors on fixed incomes and people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. It's, very, it's a cycle that's very difficult to break. Um, you know, I've been predicting stagflation for well over a year when Democrats passed their 100% partisan $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, uh, $700 billion wasn't even, you know, scheduled to spend for the out years, so it clearly wasn't COVID relief, which just overstimulated the economy, and that's what's really sparked this. And it, it took people like uh, Ronald Reagan and Paul Volcker to break the inflation 40, 40 years ago. Uh, I don't think, I don't see we've got people with that level of intellect or that level of political courage to do it this time. So uh, I, I'm afraid we're in for a really rough ride here. It's, it's so damaging to uh, just individuals to families uh, and to our economy. This, this is a really bad sign. I, I was I was hoping we'd peaked and we we're going to start coming down. The fact that we've hit another peak here is uh, it's frightening. It is. I, I think people should understand when it comes to po economics, politics should be set aside. No one should be cheering high unemployment numbers or high inflation numbers. But it is devastating for a party that took over Washington with uh, uh, inflation that was almost invisible. And with an economy that was coming out of a pandemic, he's taking full credit for the jobs added when they, they were told to step aside. Other things, energy's up 7.5% month-to-month, 41% year-to-year. Gas prices up 11%, 60% year-to-year. So when people try to get houses, when people use it, decide whether or not to use credit cards, when people decide that they want to fly, go on vacation, of course, travel, it's all going to be affected, and it's going to affect the economy do we depend, because you have such a great economic mind, do we depend on the Fed just to raise rates? Is there any sentiment to cut spending along with that? Well, now with Democrats in power. But, you know, let me quick address the jobs created phrase. We're not, <clears throat> we're not creating jobs. Uh, what we're doing is we're filling them. That's completely different. So, yeah, we, we have a low unemployment rate, but that's because so many people are sitting on the sidelines and or we're just not growing our labor force enough to fill the jobs that are available. And because we're not filling those jobs, we're not producing the product. Uh, it's one of the reasons we have all these supply chain dislocations. Uh, so that's also feeding into a slowing economy. So our, right now, our economy is in a mess uh, with, with the inflation. Um, 
And unfortunately, the, the Democrats' answer is more deficit spending. I mean, as insane as that is, I mean, inflation is pretty easy to find. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Uh, you throw in the fact that they have a war on fossil fuels driving up the cost of all energy, record gasoline prices, there's your triple whammy. You know, you're printing dollars with deficit spending. You're spending those on programs that allow people to sit on the sidelines so you have a lower labor force, fewer products. So way too many dollars chasing you, fewer goods, throwing high energy prices. So the, the message to your listeners is this didn't just happen. You know, all of these disasters, all of this destruction yeah. to America, to our economy, this isn't just bad luck on, on the part of uh, President Biden. He caused all of this. Open borders, war on fossil fuel, high energy prices, uh, all these you know, high deaths of spending, the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan tempted Putin to invade Ukraine. All of this was caused by Biden's policy, by his radical left ideology and people that's, that he's surrounded with. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And for some reason, he still got bad ap- approval ratings from Democrats who are mad that he didn't pack the court, mad that he didn't get rid of the filibuster, mad that he didn't pass Build Back Better. In real reality terms, we hear behind the scenes that a mini Build Back Better that will show, among other things, a uh, prescription drugs, uh, prescription drug reduction, they claim, but also raise the corporate tax rate. A mini Build Back Better with Joe Manchin is being worked on with Chuck Schumer. What can you tell us in, about what's happening in the Senate? Well, I'm hearing the same rumors. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, I hope Joe Manchin realizes if you increase taxes on businesses, that also would be inflationary. You know, b- businesses view taxes as a cost, and they just pass costs, added, increased costs, onto consumers. So you can increase taxes on, on business, and you're going to add to the inflationary pressures, not, not decrease them. And you're, you're going to reduce economic activity. You're going to push us even further into potential recession. We'll get the GDP uh, figures at the end of this month, but we already had negative GDP growth in the first quarter. People are predicting flat, maybe negative. Two quarters of negative growth is a recession, and that is definitely stagflation, which, again, is horrible. I mean, I lived through it uh, in, the, in the late uh, 70s, early 80s, and it's a very, very difficult and destructive cycle to break. Uh, I want you to hear what President Abrador said yesterday. The message he should have sent, in my humble opinion, is I need you to put those Marines back at your southern border. I need you to settle things on your on our southern border and start backing up uh, security. Uh, we've already paid for we've already paid for the wall, which we're not using. It's just rusting. And we got to stop. Uh, you have to stop incentivizing people to come across. Instead, the president of the United States just made nice. And here's what the president of Mexico said we should do with the hundreds of thousands of illegals, three million at least, that have come here since President Biden took over. Cut 11. And it's also indispensable, and I say this in a very sincere fashion in the most respectful manner. It is indispensable for us to regularize and give certainty to migrants that have uh, for years uh, lived and worked uh, in a very honest manner and who are also contributing to the development of this great nation. I know that your adversaries, the conservatives, are going to be screaming all over the place, even to heaven. They're going to be yelling at heaven. But without a daring, a bold program of development and well-being, it will not be possible to solve problems. So what's your thought on the translation of Abrador telling us just to give certainty to the illegals that are here? 
Well, you know, unfortunately, you have two leaders of two countries there that are both dedicated to open borders. And I just got to talk about how dangerous that is for America. You know, Mexico, they have cities that are completely controlled by the drug cartels. You know, the human traffickers are some of the most evil people on the planet. I can't even tell you about the depredations over the radio. Uh, but that is what's flooding into this country. You know, an illegal, you know, a flood of illegal immigrants uh, fed by human traffickers, a multi-billion dollar business model that's being uh, facilitated by Biden, deadly drugs coming to this country. You know, you obviously have gang members like uh, MS-13 uh, doing real harm to our, our, our cities. But this is Biden's policy. You know, every Democrat presidential candidate said they were going to stop deportations and offer free health care. That was a magnet for people. You know, you have uh, Vice President uh, Harris saying, you know, she's looking for the root cause. Just walk in the Oval Office. Look at yourself. You are the root cause of this. We had pretty well shut down the flow of unaccompanied children and family units. Even the single adults were dramatically reduced to the tail end of the, the Trump administration. But then you had the Democrat primaries. and They started talking about uh, open borders. And then Biden took office, dismantled all those successful programs. Now, we have over 7,000 people per day on average crossing our border. 7,000 during Obama's humanitarian crisis. It was 2,000 per day. But we are, we, are, we are allowing in a flow of one and a quarter million people last year, which is a number larger than the population of eight states. I heard Governor Abbott say that you're basically letting in a Houston you know, every year. Uh, this, is, this is major. This is a major national security issue. And President Biden is just waving it all off. I mean, I mean these Democrats, I mean, they're so detached from reality and from the truth. And unfortunately, so is our media. You know, our biased media is complicit in this. They are so corrupt. And that's why so many Americans are just, I guess, you know, I mean, how, how could Biden's approval rating even be 30 <laughs> percent? Nobody should be approving of this. And the thing is, some of the things he's doing now, some say, well, the Democrats aren't really for that. That's just a small fringe. Well, where are the Senator Warners of the world? Where are the so-called moderates uh, tester? Where, where are uh, other people, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, the only ones speaking up? But if there are others, uh, Angus King, that should be saying, guys, uh, this whole not drilling, no offshore drilling, not uh, these environmental standards, these slow walking of all these leases, the stopping of the pipelines, it's not now. This is not the time to stop that. Where's somebody with the courage? No one had any problem speaking up and they didn't like a Trump policy or a Bush policy. Where's the people that are going to speak up if Biden is not doing exactly what they're saying, which makes me think they're doing exactly what they're saying. Is anybody whispering whispering to Ron Johnson? Uh, Any Democrats telling you what they really think? Not really. No, I mean, listen, I appreciate Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, preserving the Senate and the filibuster. Uh, Joe Manchin was the only Democrat that has voted with us to complete building the wall. And, Brian, I think, you know, it's cost us more not to build the wall than to actually complete it. Okay, but every other Democrat, they've had like at least three opportunities I've given them in committee and on the floor of the Senate to pass an amendment to complete the wall that was contracted for. And only Joe Manchin joined us in voting to do that. So, no, they're in lockstep behind President Biden's policy. That's why I keep telling people in Wisconsin, too, I don't care what. Whoever I face in my election, whichever Democrat uh, opponent I face, don't believe anything they tell you if they say that they're going to buck their party, that they're going to vote against this insanity. They will be in lockstep supporting Pelosi and Schumer and Biden on all these policies that are creating such disasters 
And of course, it's, it's average Americans that are sh- shouldering the, the real burden that is suffering under these idiotic and insane policies. Absolutely. Uh, so for, for you personally, you decided after a long deliberation that you're going to run again. And it's neck and neck no matter who you're going to face, whether it's Nelson, Lazary, uh, Barnes, or I think it's good Lewski, Godlewski, who you might be uh, facing. Whoever it is, it's going to be a, a tough race. So if you want to uh, see Ron Johnson uh, get another six years, uh, said where do we go? Yeah, Brian, they've already spent $43.4 million against me, and I don't have an opponent. Except I have the worst opponent. I have the mainstream media trying to take me out for the last 18 months. But go to ronjohnsonforsenate.com. Again, that's ronjohnsonforsenate.com. I also have a website, WISFACTS, W-I-S-F-A-C-T-S, if you want to get the truth about all the lies and distortions that are being uh, lodged against me as well. So ronjohnsonforsenate.com, I'm going to need a lot of help. Again, $43.4 million already been spent against me. Uh, uh, lastly, I want you to hear what Josh Hawley said yesterday in a, in, a, in a stunning exchange with a Berkeley professor there to talk about the ramifications of, of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. It turns out that he was called, uh, he was accused of creating violence against transsexuals. Listen to this exchange, Cut 24. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think men can <laughs> so get pregnant. So you are denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence? Uh, where do you, I mean, I had, uh, my jaw was on the ground when I watched this. Uh, Brian, it's insane. I mean, it's just insane. I mean, Democrats, as I said before, are so detached from reality and the truth. And they're trying to force those types of falsehoods on the rest of us like, to normalize it all. It's like, no, we should all believe that men can get pregnant, too. I mean, they can't. I mean, women get pregnant. And God bless them for getting pregnant. You know, we, we need to populate our earth. But no, Democrats, again, this is just insane. But the media just plays along with it like this is all normal behavior. That it apparently, you know, for example, providing a gender-blocking drugs to children without parental notice is all okay. Now, again, it's, this is just insane what the radical left is doing to this country. And I can only hope and pray that enough Americans are willing to look around the mainstream media and find out what the truth is about this and, and recognize how insane the radical left really is and how destructive they are to this country. And just to define it, with, with the... What the Supreme Court said is figure it out in your state. Just figure it out on your own. Where does Wisconsin stand now? They have a Democratic governor. And we know that in Virginia, for example, a pro-life governor, Yunkin, will, he says, my feeling is Virginia's at 15 weeks. And I think that's where he's going to push the support. What about you, Senator Johnson? What would you be uh, – what do you think where, – where's Wisconsin going to fall? It's, it's kind of hard to predict. I, I'm, I'm kind of out of it. 
I'll have a vote along with other citizens of Wisconsin. I, I'm fully supportive of what the Supreme Court did. You know, I obviously confirmed the justices that uh, handed down that correct decision to turn this 50-year debate that didn't solve anything. It just exacerbated the divide in this country over to the states. And, Brian, here's the question that we need to decide as a society, state by state. At what point does society have the responsibility to protect life? Now, I have my own individual opinion on that, but you know, I think we're going to arrive at a consensus at that. And that's the way this should be done democratically. It's going to take some time. It might take years. It might take a number of elections. But that is the right way to you know, decide this issue. And my guess is the consensus state by state is going to be a lot closer to conception than certainly what's allowed now. And, of course, the, it's the Democrats that have the radical and extreme policy on this, basically abortion demand up to the point of birth, and some actually radical enough to, to promote infanticide. So that is the extreme position. I just hope we can have this debate with information, with compassion, with sympathy uh, for you know, women with uh, unplanned pregnancies. And I've just found the pro-life groups to be so much more reasonable and compassionate in this than the extreme radical pro-abortionists. Got it. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much. Best of luck. Take care. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We gave you a lot. I want to hear what you have to say. You can write me briankillme.com. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to Joel listening on WCHV in Charlottesville, Virginia. Hey, Joel. Hi, Brian. Really great to talk with you. And I just wanted to ask you this. It just seems like I hear the pronoun they. I heard it from Senator Johnson, and I hear it with a lot of reporters and announcers, and and they being other other news organizations. And why don't you call out NBC, CBS, MSNBC, if you think that and would, others? I mean, if you think it would help, I do. I'll, I'll play stuff down all the time from other stations. I, I especially do that on Mondays. Thanks, Joel. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Senator Joe Lieberman standing by. Uh, remember, he was ousted by his party, didn't get the nomination, came back, run independent, and then got six more years in the Senate uh, representing Connecticut. Ari Fleischer at the bottom of the hour, Fox News contributor, as you know, but author of a brand new book, Suppression, Deception, and Snobbery, uh, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care About It. And he goes into great detail, also has an interview with the President of the United States, and has himself comment on the press. It's a real interesting book. Uh, we have a lot to cover, including some relatively breaking news. We're following the President of the United States. He has landed in Israel safely, thankfully, and now he's taking doing uh, visiting the Iron Dome and Iron Beam, these two missile defense systems. And then he's going to go to East Jerusalem. And a lot of people don't like that, especially Israelis, because East Jerusalem— the Joe Biden feels should be the capital of the Palestinian nation. 
They've done nothing to order uh, to be awarded statehood, and they, I don't think Jerusalem is the place. What do you think about that? I'll ask Joe Liebman in a second. Big three time. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Read the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. In denial. That's what Joe Biden shows he's in right now as he claims Democrats still want him to run for another four. We'll bring you the state of the game and how he matches up against Trump. Number two. There's no prospects for progress on, on peace talks. You've got a caretaker Israeli government. You're going to have the fifth round of elections in a couple of years in Israel any month now. He doesn't have a big agenda. Yep, the president of the United States roadshow is in Israel. The problem is they're still focused on Iran and getting back in that deal. With Iran, back in that deal, there is no continuation of the Abraham Accords as he tries to beg the Saudis, the pariah nation in his words, for more oil. Number one. 9.1% year over year, much hotter than expected. 1981 is the last time that we have seen an inflationary number this high. And that is uh, Cheryl Cassoni with the the relatively new news. Came across about 30 minutes ago. Inflation nation. 40-year high. You heard it. 9.1%. The Biden's team reaction. Those are old numbers. No joke. Let's bring in Senator Joe Liebman. Senator, welcome back. Uh, Hey, Brian. Good to be with you. Thank you. Where were you in the 1970s during the Carter years? Where was I then? I was uh, living in New Haven, Connecticut, and I was a state senator. Serving in Hartford. Inflation uh, was such a buzz term about then. How do you beat inflation? And then I guess we got we got used to beating inflation. And now it's at 9.1%. Yeah. What is your yeah. take on that? How, how do people, how does that ripple down to the people? Yeah, well, it obviously hurts uh, average people. I mean, I suppose if you have a lot of money, you can complain, but you can afford the higher prices. I mean, in some ways, this is not surprising. We could track the causes of it. The, the Federal Reserve kept interest rates low uh, too long. Uh, the Congress uh, and the president probably put too much money in the economy in response to the pandemic. Uh, the, the pandemic, we're bouncing back from the pandemic, so the tremendous uh, demand uh, increases and the supplies have not met its supply chain problem. And then throw in uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, and uh, the oil prices energy prices are high. It's hurting average people. And uh, in a way, that's why the uh, why the president's trip to the Middle East is so important. I don't think you're going to see much of anything accomplished except uh, goodwill between uh, uh, Israelis and Palestinians as a result of Biden's trip. But the big goal has got to be to uh, regain the confidence of particularly Saudi Arabia, but all the Arab allies we've got there and Israel, that the Biden administration has a plan for the Middle East and is not pulling back, which they think now, and to me, the most important thing the president could do to gain uh, the confidence of the uh, Saudis again is to say that we're, we're walking away from the negotiations with Iran. You can't trust them. It's a bad deal. And, um, and now we're going to just fortify our allies in the Middle East, Saudis, Arabs, Israelis, uh, with as much uh, ability to defend themselves as possible. I, I don't know if the president will do that, but I think that's probably the most significant thing he can do 
when he's in um, Saudi Arabia. Senator Lieberman, a couple of things. Why is he attracted to a deal that's about to end anyway that allows Iran within two years to start building, under the agreement, their own nuclear program? They go build nuclear weapons. It's a deal that the, 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 horses, uh, the, the horses left the barn. And the guy that's doing yeah. the, the country that's helping us broker it because they would sit down with us one on one, which is pathetic, are the Russians. Right. I mean, what, is you yeah. could call up, you could get him on the phone. Could you talk to him? Yeah. So it's it's bizarre, and it's actually, uh, if it wasn't so serious, it would be funny because they backed them. Uh, we have allowed ourselves, the U.S., to be backed into a corner here, and they seem to have a kind of almost religious fervor about this agreement with the Iranians. Going back to the Obama administration in 2015, it was a bad deal then. We gave them, the Iranians, a lot of money, billions, and they used it to um, um, invade neighboring countries, support terrorists in the Middle East and around the world. They didn't give it uh, to their own people. And you're you're right, Brian. The, The requirement was not to end their nuclear program, which is why we in Congress, on a bipartisan basis, adopted all those economic sanctions on Iran. Uh, th- this agreement just put the, the foot on the brake for a while. And now, we, if we re-enter, it's, it, as you said, it's with the old timetable. It's two years. It's a, it's a really bad deal that not only uh, doesn't do what it's supposed to do to Iran's nuclear program, it, it weakens us and our allies, and it weakens us in the eyes of our allies. So honestly, to gain the confidence of the royal family in Saudi Arabia and hopefully get them to help us uh, more on oil prices so the inflationary impact here in the U.S. can be can, can be softer and easier on, on people, uh, we've got to regain their confidence. And the one thing we could do that will make that happen is to say uh, King Salman, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, we're giving up on the Iranians. Uh, we're, we're with you and, and the Israelis and the rest of the Arab world, and let's go forward now. Now, I don't expect that to happen, but I, w- I hope and pray it would. So I want you to hear what President Biden said once he landed today and tell me, right. uh, tell me in Israel. Uh, let's hear here's what he said. Uh, cut 38. Greater peace, greater stability, greater connection. It's critical. It's critical, if I might add, for all the people of the region, which is why we'll we'll discuss my continued support, even though I know it's not in the near term, a two-state solution. That remains, in my view, the best way to ensure the future of equal measure of freedom, prosperity, and democracy for Israelis and Palestinians alike. Is it? Is that the best way? And is giving East Jerusalem to the Palestinians the best way? Well, there's no question we're committed. I, I, I still support the idea of a two-state solution, but it depends, obviously, on the details of it. And the problem here is that successive Israeli governments have tried to negotiate, sometimes with the help of the U.S., a two-state solution with the leadership of the Palestinian Authority, but they walk away from the table. They don't have the guts uh, uh, to make the agreement. And on Jerusalem, that is to be determined at the negotiations. In my opinion, uh, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. The Palestinians have a capital now in Ramallah, and, and that ought to be the capital if, if there's ever a two-state solution. Look, the big development in the Middle East in, in the last years 
uh, is not between Israelis and Palestinians. It's the Abraham Accords that were negotiated uh, by President Trump and his administration. A tremendous breakthrough. Israel, Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan. And, and really, I think President Biden has got to say, and he has said, this was a, a great historic development. And now his sole of focus, in my opinion, apart from some statements about the Israeli-Palestinian track, really, if, if he doesn't want to waste his time, he'll work on getting the Saudis into the Abraham Accords. It's not going to happen this time. But if he can get them to take some big steps in that direction with joint defense with the Israelis yeah. and the Arabs, maybe more sharing of a common economy, uh, that'll be a big step forward. And, uh, you know, you got to give credit to President Trump where he deserves it. And here, he and his administration, Jared Kushner, uh, Ambassador David Friedman, those Abraham Accords uh, were the biggest breakthrough uh, between Israel and their Arab neighbors, I, I think since Camp David, and a lot of people would say they were actually more meaningful. Absolutely, than the Camp David, of because course. they have yeah, immediate trade I, and travel and recognition. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Senator, absolutely. But it doesn't even get into the New York Times story pre, uh, previewing the trip. It does not come out of anybody in the administration's mouth. Uh, pure politics. Uh, uh, lastly, you know how to solve the problem. You know we could start drilling here. You know the oil and gas industry gave 10 things yeah. to help them out, to speeding up the leases and the drilling, the environmental, uh, what, these environmental groups that just drag out these drilling permits. And you know offshore drilling is now banned. The, the, uh, the pipelines have been shelved. Yeah. So yeah. you know that this is a national security thing. We have to provide the natural gas maybe to Europe for, for come winter yep. to keep these sanctions in place. Yeah, no. Look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on a, I believe that climate change is a problem. So I, I think we got to figure out ways to, to uh, vary our energy supply. But we got a terrible crisis now that's really hurting um, the American people. And I'm talking about the cost of energy at the pump, and, and when we get into the uh, winter, it's heating their homes. And um, th- therefore, I think we've got to uh, use the tremendous technological uh, advan- uh, developments that have occurred in the energy industry to, to figure out a way for our, our people uh, to um, pump more oil, uh, bring out more gas. Um, it, it's not going to happen overnight. The, mo- the most significant thing that can happen overnight on energy prices in the U.S. is all up to the Saudis right now. They're the second biggest producer of oil in the world and some gas. And uh, if they want to, uh, they can help reduce the price of gasoline here. And I think President Biden ought to do everything he can to do that. But longer term, um, we've we got to be realistic. Our people are hurting, I, I mean, in terms of inflation, and we've got to help them. You, got a, you have a 26% of Democrats right now who want Joe Biden to run again. He's got approval rating at 33%. This is by the New York Times-Siena poll, which is usually pretty friendly right. to Democrats. Uh, what is that signaling to the rest of the party? Well, I mean, it's right. It's certainly not uh, good news for Joe uh, Biden. Uh, part of it is a lack of confidence in him. And uh, I know this is going to sound like a broken record from me because I'm a centrist Democrat or an independent. But I think part of the problem is that he's he's been uh, drawn too much to the left of the party. And not where he was a lot of the time when I was in the Senate with him, which was a center-left Democrat. Um, so that, that's, that's part of the problem. Part of it is it's just it's a tough time to be president. Uh, pandemic, inflation, uh, war in Ukraine, 
and uh, <clears throat> people have, have lost confidence in him. It's, uh, if, if I were him, I'd stop thinking about 2024 and just figure out. Um, probably has to wait until after the midterm elections. What, what can he get done, and how, how's he going to do it? And if he looks at the first two years, his two big accomplishments domestically, the, the infrastructure reform bill, and the so-called gun safety bill were both the result of bipartisan compromises. So if he wants to leave a legacy uh, in his le- in the next two years, which I'm guessing are his last two as president, he, he's got to move back to the center and start working with both parties to get something done. And then, of course, people on the Republican Party have to be open to working with him. But he, he always had a good relationship in the Senate with Mitch McConnell. So I think that can be the key to helping solve some mm-hmm. of our problems. But you can't do it uh, uh, going to the left or right. you you got to figure out how to compromise. And, of course, uh, the, the thing I do after uh, energy is immigration. I mean, uh, it's, 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 again, a crisis. And uh, the people in Congress know how to solve it. Uh, more border security, uh, some reform of the immigration rules. Uh, it can be done, but 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 they got to be willing to take the political risk to do it. And right now, they just use it and the, and to the, throw stones at each other. Right, and the border is uh, broken. You're chairman of the United Against Nuclear Iran and author of the Centrist Solution: How We May How We Made Government Work and Can Make It Work Again. Joe Lieberman, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. I always enjoyed talking to you. Have, have a great day. Take Same care. here. And our audience loves you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. The bottom of the hour, Ari Fleischer. You're next, Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they Read don't. Read the poll. Read the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Right. Uh, That was what he was referring to. It said 92% said they would vote for him if he was running against Donald Trump. Does that surprise you? I mean, the number would be almost as high as almost every Republican. But Donald Trump actually kind of dredges up that type of motion among Democrats. The last thing they want in the middle of the January 6th hearing, does that surprise you? But the numbers that should surprise you is that two-thirds of independents don't want him to run again. That's a killer. They say that only for his approval rating among Hispanics is about 30%. That could be a death blow if even if he was 20, uh, if he was 45 years old and wanted to run. The only place that he's got over 500 approval ratings at 64% is the black community. And that's even low compared to where it was or it is for most Democratic candidates. I have a sense Republicans are starting to make some inroads there like they are with Hispanics. But I think that the president of the United States, his anger is telling. Every time he's confronted, I mean, he doesn't do almost any interviews. He almost has zero press conferences. He does one-on-ones with, uh, with he doesn't do one-on-ones with anyone who's neutral to, to somewhat adversarial with him when it comes to the press. And he's always losing his temper. Remember the blow up after the Vladimir Putin summit? He starts blowing up at a reporter. I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Collins from CNN who asked him uh, just a question about what went on behind closed doors. And again, you guys are all the same. What's with the flash of anger? I mean, settle down. 
hey, guys, yeah, I saw that poll. It's not great, but I'm not concerned at all about 2024 right now. I'm right now focused on my, my trip overseas, meeting with going to Israel and Saudi Arabia and getting inflation down. I'm a little concerned about that number coming in. And then when you just blow it off because you are not up for election for t- over two years. And what your concern is to get your party in a good state to do as best as possible in the midterms. You've spent your whole life trying to get this job. Why do you seem to hate it so much? According to that New York Times story also, you work five days a week. I'm sorry. If you're the president of the United States, you have to work work more than five days a week. You cannot take weekends off. By the way, your vice president's doing that too. You go to bed early. It might show discipline, but a lot of times it's, things got to get done at night. The way it's portrayed behind the scenes, not a lot of energy there. We'll see what the next year and a half looks like as the president goes overseas. We'll be for sure to track it. How does the press treat these candidates in the parties? Ari Fleischer next. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump that wants to think that <laughs> Donald Trump's a smart one in there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling. Even though my <laughs> your math and your reading. <laughs> yeah, you're reading. Your geography, knowing other countries. All those lines on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. But by the way, Ukraine. Oh, my God. But, but, but you know what? But, oh, my God. But you know, but, Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you me what? a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Sorry. Rick, you, that you, was a good one. I needed that. So, so that's just a cut from Don Lemon with Rick Wilson and another pundit talking about Donald Trump voters and Donald Trump. And so they... It, they just expand on what the, who they think Donald Trump is, who they have no respect for. And they have almost zero respect for the people that support him. So that comes out to, I don't know, 74 million people. And to sit there and mock and, and, and laugh like that got uh, Ari Fleischer. And it was one of the first chapters, and it's in the first chapter of his brand new book that is out uh, this week. And it is called Suppression, Deception, Snobbery. There you heard the snobbery and bias. Why the press gets so much wrong and just doesn't care. Ari, uh, welcome back. Congratulations on the book. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, it's excellent. But I wanted to bring that to light because you, you chronicled this. Did you watch that in real time? Was it brought to your attention? Oh, no. I watched that in real time. To, to write this book, I, just, I watched a lot of CNN and I was repulsed. And it just stood out at me that this sums everything up. This is the problem that the press cannot understand that half this country can intellectually, proudly, happily support somebody else named Donald Trump for all his flaws, for all his strengths. That's what half the country thinks, yet the mainstream media looks down their noses and does not understand America because they don't like these people. So I would say this. I can never picture a roundtable mocking Hillary Clinton supporters, but Hillary Clinton also mocked at Fox. Uh, Hillary Clinton also mocked Trump supporters. But I think your point, what I get from the book, is it's not just about Trump. Trump's the most extreme example, but it's Republicans in particular. They just don't understand. They don't understand people who were raised to go to church every week. They don't understand people who pray. They don't understand people whose fathers taught them how to hunt and whose grandfathers taught them how to hunt or people who think that life began at conception and that abortion actually might be murder to some people. 
Now, you can have disagreements about what right policies are, but I was raised in Bryant, Brian, to, to respect the other side. They have different opinions, and maybe it's because I was raised in a Democratic family, so I love my, my family. I want to beat them. I want to defeat them at the elections. I will not mock them. Right. I will respect them. Right. Uh, everyone brings something to the table. By the way, that's just where they accuse Republicans of not having tolerance. Uh, the party of white people, men first, women second, only cares about one race and the reason why and where uh, white people are paranoid about losing the power that they've historically had. Where you're seeing nonstop intolerance, which explains their vulnerability. So one of the chapters in my book gets into suppression. I mean, the name suppression, deception, snobbery and bias is because they deceive people by putting news on the air that's wrong. And then they suppress news. So Madeline Leader worked at the Democratic National Committee. They had an opening at the DNC for a job, and she sent out an email to all her friends saying, we have this opening. I don't want any straight white males to apply. If you know anybody else, send them my way and we have a job. Could you imagine, Brian, if somebody at the RNC put out an email for a job opening and said, the only people who should apply are straight white males, or we don't want any gay female, uh, gay, gay female blacks to apply. Hell would have broken loose. It would have been front page, lead the networks everywhere. The chairwoman of the RNC would have had to resign. But you know what happened to Madeline Leader's email? What? Ignored by the New York Times, ignored by the Washington Post, ignored by CBS, CNN, ABC. No one covered it. My book is full of stories like that about intolerant, narrow-minded, bigoted, wrong things that Democrats say and get away with it. But if you're a Republican and you say one syllable wrong, the press will hammer you. And when Trump was making mistakes and the press tried to hammer him, he hit back twice as hard and they couldn't handle it. And then when he won, they couldn't understand it. And their goal was to take him down. Right. This is a big part of my book. One of the reasons the mainstream media is so off the rails right now. And the president did speak to you for the book. Yeah. And I interviewed President Trump. I'll tell you about that. So, but one of the reasons things are the way they are is because the press took it upon themselves, the mainstream media, to right the wrong that the people carried out in 2016 by electing Donald Trump. The press was part of the resistance. They never accepted the will of the voters. When people elected Donald Trump, the press should have accepted it and they remained neutral, remained objective. But they became activists to fix the republic, to save the republic from the risks that they saw from their warped democratic liberal, college-educated point of view that Trump was bad. Now, Trump should be subject to criticism, but from a neutral, objective point of view. And that's what went wrong. You might not like his tweets, but you have to salute the Abraham Accords. You, may, uh, you, might, uh, not, you might not like the way he approached uh, the tax reform doing on reconciliation, but you have to notice that it did help spur on the economy. And maybe take note that people are calling for a reduction in the corporate rate for about 15 years, including Barack Obama and uh, George Bush, he got it done. Look, Brad, I regularly supported his policies, defended him on collusion live on the air because collusion allegations from the beginning didn't make sense to me. And I've criticized his behavior. I've criticized his tweets. I will continue to call balls and strikes. But when I watched how the press, the mainstream media, was covering Donald Trump, it fired me up because I just thought they are so bad, so wrong – They are their own worst enemy. So my book blows the whistle on them, and it tells the tale of how bad, wrong, deceiving, suppressive they are. Um, But let me get to President Trump. So I interviewed him for the book, and I was at Mar-a-Lago, and I brought my iPad. 
And on my iPad, I had loaded, so all I had to do was hit a button, some of the worst, nastiest coverage of him, and I made him watch it. So I started to talk to him about the mainstream media's unfair coverage, and I said, remember when you went to Japan and you were feeding koi fish? And CNN doctored the video, and they cut out Prime Minister Abe of Japan feeding the koi fish by dumping his whole box into the water. They cut that out, and they showed you dumping your whole box in the water and made it look like you don't even know how to feed a koi fish. It was silly. It was frivolous, but it turned into a mini feeding frenzy. So I played it for Trump. He had never seen it before. And his reaction was, I don't understand the press. I did exactly what my host, Prime Minister Abe, did, and they criticized me for it. And so I was able to capture him actually watching how bad the press is and share his reaction with the readers. What else was on the reel? On the reel? Oh, on my said, yeah, on the on that you showed him. Um, there were other incidents of terrible press coverage. A lot of it from CNN. A lot of it from the New York Times. Some of it dealing with collusion. Uh, and and I would press him. Uh, one of my favorite parts was I said to him, "If you had won a second term, do you think things would have been different?" So with this the is twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, this came in twenty twenty one after he was out of office. I said, "What would be different in the press?" He said, "It wouldn't be different." Uh, They haven't learned their lessons, and nothing would be different. I also said to him, did you ever think your press coverage would be good, and how would that have changed the way you you served your presidency? And he said during the transition in 2016, he thought he would start to get really fair coverage, really neutral coverage, and then he recognized they're only here to bash me. And I almost got a sense that he would have toned himself down oh, yeah. if things had been fair and neutral to him as opposed to unabashed resistance. If it wasn't for the Russian collusion thing hanging over him to threaten to destroy him, oust him from office, not drive his approval ratings down, drive him out. And knowing that, knowing what we know now, and I read the whole report, knowing what we know now, can you imagine just sitting there every day seeing these stories ricocheting around, not based in fact, and you point out some of them in your book, Ari Fleischer here, uh, Ari, Donald Trump Jr., for example, what did Donald Trump Jr. do? He, uh, they, had, they accused him of emails, being able to get uh, emails. WikiLeaks emails Yeah, WikiLeaks emails ahead of time with this special code that thing he yeah. had. And it starts ricocheting. All, what's, it's not even a story. And the, all of this comes, that becomes a story in every network, every single hour. And then when it turns out not to be the case, and multiple sources end up being two sources and ends up being undisclosed sources, which you, you point out in the book, that gets a new life like never before. Undisclosed sources. No one ever apologizes. No one ever walks it back. They don't spend time you know, uh, riding the ship. CNN led the league and retracted stories. And on the one you're talking about, when Manu But they Raju, fade. They don't necessarily stop. Oh, right? that, they just hope that nobody paid attention, yeah. which, again, is why I wrote the book, because I paid attention. I'm going to blow my whistle on these people because it's wrong. It hurts our democracy when people cannot watch the news or pick up a paper and say, I believe it. And CNN largely did it to itself. A couple of things, too, to point out. You discovered it, too, when you were the, when you, uh, with George W. Bush. And you go to Columbia. And you're just curious to see why people seem to be biased. And you ask a question. What were the questions that you asked recently at Columbia? And what was the one? And what was the result? And what was what would you first ask them? This is so in 1998, fun. was it? This is so fun. In 1998, I was on Capitol Hill. Twelve students from Columbia Journalism School came down to the Hill and had other meetings to talk about journalism. And at the end of my talk to them, I, I said to them, how many of you in the 96 election voted for Clinton and how many for Dole? And I said – Clinton first. So 11 hands went up for Bill Clinton voters. So I said, only one of you voted for Bob Dole? And the 12th guy in the room said, no, I voted for Ralph Nader. 
So it's 12 nothing. This is the leading journalism school, arguably, in the country Correct. with the reputation. Very prestigious. It feeds so many of the Washington and New York newsrooms. 22 years later, I'm invaded back to Columbia. I go to their campus in New York City, and I ask the same question. This is in 2021, actually, 2020, um, but it was after the 2020, March of 2020, because it was right before COVID hit. So I said in the 2016 election, how many of you voted for Hillary Clinton? How many of you voted for Donald Trump? 12 nothing for Hillary. 24 to nothing, Brian is how Columbia Journalism School is graduating its students. Why isn't it 12 to 12? Why is it 24 Republicans and zero Democrats? If you don't think the media would be different, right. if you don't think the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC would be different, if journalists were different, you don't know how journalism works. And in the perfect world, someone asks you who your favorite team is, yours is the Yankees. But if you're covering Major League Baseball for a national network, you don't want to hear the homerism in the play-by-play. So people listening at home might say, or listening on the road in their car right now, might say, all right, that's true, but that's who they vote for. It doesn't mean they cover with a bias. The yeah. book proves the bias. The, but just on the surface, it doesn't mean necessarily you have to show your colors. Example after example of bias. How about Brian uh, Ross? Uh, you, you had a problem with Brian Ross of ABC yep. with, the, in, with the Bush administration, let alone with Brian Ross, I believe, got suspended and fired at ABC for what he did to Trump. That's, that's correct. My beef with Brian Ross started in, uh, when I was at the Bush White House when he reported that Saddam Hussein was behind the anthrax attacks. He wasn't. Saddam was not. He had nothing to do with them. I warned ABC. I said, don't air it. It's wrong. Saddam had nothing to do with it. We're the Bush administration that wanted to whack Saddam. No kidding. And I'm here telling them Saddam had nothing to do with anthrax. He aired it anyway, and then later he had to quietly retract it. Um, you, you know, it's just journalists let it rip without caring if it's true, if they have an agenda. And that's one of the biggest problems. So one of the other things I did, Brian, that was so fun, I hired an opposition research firm to pull the public voter registration records of the White House press corps. Today, the 49 people who sit in the briefing room today under Joe Biden's presidency, and they found the ratio of registered Democrats to Republicans is 12 to 1. Again, it's like Columbia Journalism School, right? Why isn't it 6 to 6? Why isn't it even? What happens if it was 12 to 1 Republicans covering Biden to one Democrat? The press is warped. The press starts out with an original sin. The people who go into journalism are so cut from the same cloth, the same college-educated, Democratic voter, liberal, think-alike, act-alike, tweet-alike cloth, and then they think they represent the breadth and depth of America? No. Ron Fournier is describing being a journalist kind of backed up the premise of your book. And Ron Fournier basically says, if you go to Washington, he goes, how can you change things if you're not a journalist? That's really not your job to change things. If you're a commentator, perhaps, but if you're covering somebody, it's your to expose things by reporting the truth. Ron Fournier was the chief White House correspondent for the Associated Press when I was there. He later went to become the uh, AP bureau chief in Washington, and he tweeted the job of a journalist is to move the needle, to affect change. Well, whose needle, Brian? Yeah. What direction are they moving it? Left, mm-hmm. right, center? No, that's not the job of a journalist. A journalist is somewhere that I'm not, and I would like that journalist, please. Tell me what happened. Just tell me the news, and I'll decide where the needle should go. That's the job of the American people. It's not the job of the journalists. We just need the facts and the truth. Another example I think that uh, backs up the premise, by the way, Ari Fleischer's book is is now for sale. 
It is called suppression, deception, snobbery, and bias, why the press gets so much wrong and just doesn't care. And this is actually good for the average person listening to us right now who sits there and engages with some Democrats and others, and they say, where's the bias? Well, you actually have you have example after example. I'll give you an example that you bring up that I forgot about. When Governor Jan Brewer confronts Barack Obama and points at him, they say how disrespectful that is to the presidency of the United States and how dare she lose decorum like that and how inappropriate. And you compare it to Nancy Pelosi standing over Donald Trump, yelling at him and how she was lauded for standing up for women and to do what's right against the mighty male chauvinist president. She pointed her finger at Donald Trump. The picture went viral, and she was praised by the mainstream media. The New York Times, iconic photo. Dana Bash at CNN, iconic photo, a woman standing up to a man. But when, as you point out, Governor Jan Brewer did with her finger unto Trump what Nancy Pelosi did, or Jan Brewer, I'm sorry, governor of Arizona did to Barack Obama, just as Nancy Pelosi did to Trump, the press slammed Governor Brewer praised Nancy Pelosi. It's just another day at the office for the mainstream media. And it's amazing that it is so close to all these elections. It's amazing, right? I mean, you would think if the press really had the power that they think they have, this would not be a 50-50 Senate and a House oh, that's yeah. about to flip. Yeah. And a Republican field of about 12 really solid men and women that have a strong case to run for president if, if, or, if, or if not – Donald Trump runs. But it's why we're becoming such a polarized, divided country, and I lament that. I want to just pick up one piece of news and say I'm done for the day. I've read it, and I accept it. But what's happening is America's dividing, and Republicans, conservatives, we're winning, and we have more media outlets that tell the story the way we want to hear it than the Democrats do in the way they want to hear it. But if the mainstream media was fair and neutral, Brian, Republicans would be winning everywhere. We'd probably start winning inner cities because people are fed up with crime and their way of life and they should know better and and then blame it on their Democratic mayors. We've got ways to go as a conservative movement, but it's starting. Right. It used to be very interesting. Should we have tax cuts? You know, what should we do on health care? How dare they have a a universal health care? Those were almost healthy, good old days. Now it's what's a man? What's a woman? (laughs) Uh, yeah. How evil are our, are our founding fathers? Yeah. They're trying to get at the foundation of everything, and, and it seems ludicrous. And I sense there's a pushback, I hope. And the root of it, and this is in my book, is our press bias has become cultural. It's not ideological. And by that I mean reporters today are overwhelmingly college-educated Democratic voters. And one of the studies I put into my book is the only group of Americans who think the press understands them are college-educated Democrats. People with a high school degree, the press doesn't understand them. Independents with college degree or just a high school degree, the press doesn't understand them. Republicans of all stripes. Pick up his book, uh, Ari Fleisch is out and about. We'll have him back if he'll have us. Suppression, deception, snobbery, and bias, why the press gets so much wrong and just doesn't care. Ari, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Want to roll along with Ari, but I do want to announce something. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, Red, White, and Blue, and you. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. I want to see you in Newark, New Jersey, August 27th. Albany, New York, September 8th. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. In a matter of moments, we're going to talk to one of the, uh, the most tapped-in people in politics, Matt Schlapp, chairman of, the, uh, of CPAC and former political director of President George W. Bush and author of uh, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. And bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry, uh, fresh off his appearance on Meet the Press, and he recovered. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Read the poll, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no, 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Really? Okay, that's one portion of the poll. And can I add, that's if you ran against Donald Trump. of Democrats would vote for you. We'll tell you the rest. In denial, that's where Joe Biden is right now. We'll bring you the state of the game and how he matches up with Trump and how Trump matches up with a possible primary field of opponents. Number two. There's no prospects for progress on, on peace talks. You've got a caretaker Israeli government. You're going to have the fifth round of elections in a couple of years in Israel any month now. He doesn't have a big agenda. Uh, that is Richard Haas talking about the president arriving in Israel and then going over to Saudi Arabia and meeting with the United Arab Emirates in four days. What's at stake? We'll talk about the president's roadshow. Number one. 9.1% year over year, much hotter than expected. 1981 is the last time that we have seen an inflationary number this high. Yeah, uh, that is true. And that is new. Cheryl Cassoni telling us, inflation nation, 40 decades high, the cost of everything we buy soars. The Biden administration's reaction, ah, those numbers are old. No joke. Matt Schlapp joins us now. Matt, welcome. Brian, how are you, sir? Good. So I thought I thought the administration getting try to get ahead of this news, even though most of them are overseas now. A member from Brian D's downplaying concerns over the gas prices. They say, well, those numbers came out. Uh, this those numbers came out before gas dropped 40 cents. So don't get worked up on inflation at nine point one percent. Do you feel better? Yeah. No, look, this is uh, messaging and communications one on one, which is, you know, uh, they're going to live and die by gas prices. If they're going to give us a daily update of how many cents it's either up or down. That's not what matters here. What matters here is that when you take all the basket of goods, you got to you got to buy to take care of your life or to take care of your family. Everything's up, and it's everything's up substantially, uh, and it's a lagging number. Every inflation number you see uh, is only getting a portion of how bad it is because this is happening, you know, in real time. And uh, and look, the last time we had inflation this bad, all the politicians were punished, no matter what party they were. You know, Gerald Ford was punished. Jimmy Carter became a laughing stock and kind of destroyed the Democratic Party for a very long time. And that's what's going on with Joe Biden and his disastrous policies. It's not the look, it's not just the ideology that's wrong. It's the fact that it's just impractical in people's lives when you tell them as part of the Green New Deal, I want you to pay, you know, six, seven bucks for gas. And then when gas starts to get there, you act like you're not for it. It's in their platform for gas to be this high. It's what they want. That's why they canceled all the fossil fuel programs. That is uh, unbelievable. On top of that, uh, the small business numbers 
Uh, they say the small business plunges to a 48-year low in terms of worries. The most business owners since 1980 uh, reporting that the rising prices were their single most important problem. That according to a brand new th- survey. If you hurt small business, you've hurt the country. If you cost, on average, the average American family $460 just in groceries alone, you're hurting the country. And now the one thing the president had with his unemployment rate, really low, 3.4, 3.6. But the other problem is we can't fill positions. We do have a labor shortage hurting a lot of businesses, many of which have to close. So there's some unique challenges here. I haven't seen anyone up to that challenge yet, Matt. Yeah, and this is – look, this is why – when you talk about the challenge, it's why Republicans are going to do so well in November – what Republicans won't understand about that, Brian, is they're going to think it's because they're so beautiful, and they're so wonderful, and, and everybody thinks that they have all the answers. It's just a repudiation of what's going on now. And then the next step will be, well, what are the solutions? So, you know, it was a huge problem. Um, the unemployment rate doesn't capture what's going on in the economy. I'm happy that it's lower than higher. But the real problem is you can't find people who want to work. Why can't you find people who want to work? Well, for two years, we told them it was unsafe to go to work. It was unsafe to go to church. It's unsafe for our kids to go to school. You know, don't be surprised if a certain psychology sets in of, why do I get up early every morning and go to work? And I don't really need to. And so what's going to eventually happen is all these people who aren't working, they're going to run out of money, and they're going to stop buying stuff. And all this Amazon spike and all of this consumer uh, purchasing is going to drop so fast. So that's the next piece that's ready to come here that I don't think the Biden understa- administration understands. Look, let, let's be very clear here. When you hear Corrine Jean-Pierre from the podium and when you hear Biden administration people talk about the economy, that you, it's clear that they've never run like a business. They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and they don't understand the bite this is taking. Look, we have a big CPAC coming up in Texas. That's the number one feedback we get from people who are always a part of our projects and programs is, you know, this is hurting. It's hard to come up with a couple hundred bucks and buy an airplane ticket. And, you know, and I think people uh, all across the economy are feeling this. I think you're right. And that New York Times poll is stunning. And also the New York Times story about Joe Biden being walking very slow and going to bed early and not working on the weekends and not being able to schedule him for two uh, trips more than uh, seven days, 10 days. They brought him home in between. And then you see the gaffes that we're seeing now, uh, and they're getting worried behind the scenes. But for the New York Times to go and write this story the way they wrote it and then release this poll that show that only 26 percent of Democrats want him nominated again, 64 percent want a different person, two-thirds of independents disapprove of his performance, and for them to publish this and make it a big deal, read between the lines for me, Matchlap. Yeah, so the first thing is here behind the scenes, Democrats have turned on Biden. Um, remember, Biden wasn't, shouldn't really have ever gotten the nomination last time. That was kind of an inside job. Uh, he wasn't doing well in the primaries. Neither was Kamala Harris. And at the end of it, because of Obama, they orchestrated this ticket of Biden and Kamala Harris. And, you know, I'm not going to let the New York Times off the hook. Yes, they've turned on Biden now. And that's why they're doing this, because they're trying to push the Democratic Party to find a new standard bearer in 2024. But it was the New York Times that led the parade with the biggest lie in the history of the presidency. The biggest scandal in the history of the presidency was that Joe Biden was up to this job physically and mentally. He was not up to it. He couldn't run a campaign. He could barely get through speeches. God knows what it took for him to get through those debates. 
and, uh, and, and they all covered for him because they hated Trump so much. And there was always a rule in American journalism ever since Woodrow Wilson that they would not cover, no matter what their politics for, were, over the health of the president. Because when Woodrow Wilson had a stroke and he couldn't do the job and his wife essentially was the president of the United States, uh, they said that's such a dangerous thing. We'll never allow that to happen again. And they all participated in the great cover-up of Biden's mental decline. And it's, it's a disgraceful thing that it happened. And it's going to be one of the reasons the Republicans win this November and take the White House back, because people don't trust what the media tells them. Well, I'll tell you what, I saw that poll that came out and, I, you know, you could always diminish a poll and you might be right to do so that says it's basically a dead heat when people are asked who they prefer to run Congress, Democrats or Republicans, even though overwhelmingly people are saying that the House is going to flip substantially. So you see that poll. You have to look at worst-case scenario in many cases, right, Matt? So what do you think about that? So, you know, I, I, I look at the average of the polls. I go to Real Clear Politics and look at the average. And Republicans have had a steady advantage on the generic ballot for a long time, um, you know, as high as eight points at times, but usually just a couple of points. But what we've noticed in the generic ballot in the past, let's go back to 1994, the last time there was such a huge, massive wave, like I think there will be this time. You know, Republicans didn't leave, lead in the generic ballot to the very end of the process. Why is that? Well, you know, if a pollster is going to call somebody, who's home? I don't know many Republicans who are home. Now, maybe if they're retired, but <laughs> yeah. even the retired Republicans, I know they're pretty active. So, you know, uh, who do you tend to get at home? You know, it's always skewed Democrat, and it's always skewed people who don't work. And it's always skewed big cities. And the way the cities have gone, I don't even know if Republicans live in cities anymore. They're abandoning them at a rapid rate. You will see a gyration in the generic ballot. So the rule of thumb, Brian, for your listeners is if the Republicans are anywhere close to even, they're going to have a big year. And what you're going to see in all these poll numbers is they're going to collapse for the Democrats. So why do I predict that? They're going to get a lot worse is what I mean from today. Why do I predict that? I predict that because they have nothing they can say. I keep going up and down the issue set. They have nothing they can say in the economy that they're doing. They have nothing that they can say uh, on all this woke stuff. You know, they're, they're all in on all of it. It's all very unpopular. Um, and, uh, you know, look, the, it took the woke for Republicans to win in Virginia, a state that had turned strong blue. And what's going to happen in a lot of these blue states is these congressmen are going to start to get polling back. It's gonna be, you know, we're a couple weeks away from it. But the polling is going to show them in real trouble. And that's what happened in 1994, and that's what's going to happen again. Because if you can't articulate any contrary policies to what is fearing the American people, you will lose. I want you to hear uh, this exchange. You talk about the woke stuff. If it is resonating, if it's not resonating in the Democratic Party, they're not speaking up rejecting it. They really aren't. So if people say, and I'm looking they at these can't. polls. Uh, well, well, I would just stand up for it. Listen, I'm not for the pronoun things. I know what a man and a woman is. Uh, call me crazy. So listen to this exchange that exposed it all and what was supposed to be, and I'm sure it was in some respect, the new world with Roe v. Wade being overturned and what it means for the states. Listen to Josh Hawley engage a professor from, uh, from Berkeley. Cut 24. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? 
Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? Do you believe that there, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence? Do you believe this? I mean, is there anything more emblematic of the idiocy where we've been thrust upon us? Yeah, so here's the challenge. Um, first of all, uh, this is offensive to anybody who believes in truth, right? And these people don't believe in truth. They believe that they believe in their truth, or as, mo uh, as uh, Oprah says, my truth. It means truth means whatever you want at that moment. And so they're making everything up on gender. They're changing biology if it makes good politics. And here's what the Republicans got to do, Brian, is they got to defund all this stuff. Do you know how much federal money Berkeley gets? Do you know how, how much federal money the university system gets? And I don't know why we're just kind of all going along with it because we love to cheer at the football games and the baseball games and the basketball games. But, you know, if you, if you want to fund sports, fine. But why are we funding all these universities that are literally gone mad? I mean, look at these people who are testifying at these Roe v. Wade hearings. These people are teaching your children f false and morally reprehensible things. And it happens not just at Berkeley. Berkeley's you know, famous for being left-wing. It's happening at all these state schools. It's happening even in community colleges. There is a woke, uh, well-funded uh, effort to pollute the minds of your kids, and you're all paying for it. And we ought to demand the new Republican majority when they come in to immediately stop turning off the spigot of money. When the money stops flowing, these people will get the message that we're tired of this crap. But, see, if it is true and there's 40 percent of the country are Republicans and 40 percent are Democrats, roughly— and the party of 40 percent wants it. It's not budging. And I and I, you know, I assume that John Tester's OK with this. I assume that Senator Warner is OK with this. I assume that Chuck Schumer is OK with this. We have a Supreme Court justice that would not even admit would not even define a woman. And we also have well, a lot of people who hate our history now. So they're trying to work the foundation. Let me push back a little bit on the polling, which is I believe that whenever these radical things set hold in a civilization, it's a slender minority of that minority. So, yeah, you're right. If the nation is split between R and D and D's have done better in the last couple of years and then it's a fight for independent votes, I can get that framework. But of the 40 percent of Democrats, it is a slender minority that's pushing all this stuff. You know, when you meet with these Democrats one-on-one -on -one or you talk to the people who advise them, they all admit that this stuff is all crazy. But when I say they have no choice but to say it publicly, if they, if they cross the line publicly, AOC and uh, the George Soros-funded entities just go, go after them aggressively. And that's where they feel stuck. And this is where the American people have to understand it's not that almost 50 percent of the country buys into this. It's a, it's a very slender minority that then the rest of the democratic system um, falls in line with because they're scared. There's a lot of fear in our politics. That's why voices like yours are awfully important. Just put the truth out there, you know. You don't push a political line, Brian. Just put the truth. Quit teaching kids that boys can have offspring. It's not true. And you can pick your gender, which is not uh, it's effective. It's not true. 
Uh, Matt Schlapp, uh, CPAC is coming up faster than you think. They start organizing again. I know this is rote to you. August 4th to 7th, President Trump will be speaking there. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban will also speak at CPAC in Texas. And if you want to know what he's like, uh, Tucker sat down with him. Some substantial interviews there. Matt, anything, uh, uh, anything else on your mind, or, or can I go to a break? You can go to a break. I'll just say it's kind of amazing that we have now sitting heads of Sitting heads of foreign governments coming to CPAC, it just shows you everyone around the world is very worried about what's going on in America. Yeah, uh, put me among them. But I do think that it's got we got to hit rock bottom and we're beginning to hit it and we're going to bounce all the way back. Matt, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, Register to go. It's definitely going to be newsworthy and worth your time. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. We continue to track the president overseas in Israel. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We have Rich Lowry just around the bend. Just got an announcement. I have a chance to talk about my books, The War on History, Why We Should Win It, a really red, white, and blue evening, uh, one of which will air on Fox Nation. I don't know which one yet, but I'm going to be in Newark, New Jersey, August 27th, especially if you're WABC listeners, WRCN. I think you'll really, I know you'll really enjoy it. Uh, I'll be able to sign my books, VIP Opportunities, New Jersey Performing Arts Center on 1 Center Street. You can go to com and just get all the details. Albany, New York, September 8th. So the following week at the Egg, uh, the Empire State Plaza. And then I'll offer a couple of months. My paperback's coming out on the President of Freedom Fighter. So I'll mix in an appearance in Brandon, Mississippi, Saturday, November 12th at City Hall Live. So that'll be great starting at 7 o'clock in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Always one of my favorite stops. We're lucky to have KRMG as a great affiliate over there and such loyal listeners at the Cox Convention Center. So you just go to BrianKillMe.com, and it's also my chance to interact with you. One frustration I have about being in New York, most of my viewers, listeners, are not here. They're around the country outside WABC and WRCN, so it gives me a chance when I do the book tours to meet people. So I thought, why don't we just create our own events? And that's what I'm doing. So I'm able to have live interaction on stage and then before and after. And I think it'll be – I know it'll be a great time. Uh, BrianKillMe.com to find out more. Uh, Meanwhile, don't forget One Nation queuing up for another great show Saturday night at 8 o'clock here on Fox News Channel. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And now as president... I'm proud to say that our relationship with the state of Israel is deeper and stronger, in my view, than it's ever been. And with this visit, we're strengthening our connections even further. We have reaffirmed the unshakable commitment of the United States to Israel's security, including partnering with Israel on the most cutting-edge defense systems in the world. Okay, uh, that is the President of the United States. Uh, landing in Israel and giving a speech right at the tarmac there. Now he's taking a tour of the Iron Dome, Iron Beam, and that's a missile defense system, been expanded. 
And then he wants to go to East Jerusalem without any Israeli officials to kind of give the Palestinians some hope that that's going to be their future capital. Don't think that's wise. And he's also bringing to the forefront, I understand, his quest to do this Iranian deal that's about to evaporate anyway. Rich Lowry, thankfully, Rich, as your editor of Nash Review, uh, thankfully, the, uh, the Iranians don't know a great deal that's staring him in the face. They're not going to take it. That's the only thing that's saving him. But he's not dropping this quest. Does this astound you? It's a fixation. It was a fixation with Obama. It was a a terrible deal. It never would have been approved if the Senate had to approve it as a treaty, which it was. And Biden wants a a worse version of it than Obama. So it's just another indication of this guy's terrible judgment that we've seen all around the country and all around the world. Right. Uh, what do you expect to, to happen on this trip? I mean, if he actually had a sense of I got to reverse the momentum, what he would do is say we're no longer interested in pursuing the deal and tell the Saudis he'd like to move forward with normalizing relations uh, with Israel because they were on the cusp of doing that. Now everything's yeah. stalled because of the way we've abandoned Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, the, the Middle East is, a, is another area where actually things were moving in the right direction under Trump. And all you need to do is kind of pick up the baton and keep going in that direction of forging these normalization, normalization agreements with the, the Gulf countries and Israel, with the Saudis obviously being the, the big kahuna in the room. And look, I mean, what they did with Khashoggi was, was awful. Um, I, I think it should be condemned. We should tell the truth about it. But they're just bigger issues afoot. And I long ago um, reached the conclusion that the Saudis are just horrible bastards, but there's no good alternative and, uh, and all, all sorts of reasons. You know, if they went away, the, the, the government of Saudi Arabia would be much worse, and they still have a hell of a lot of oil, and it matters. So um, it, it was idiotic for Biden to say it was Saudis were going to be a pariah state or whatever. It was never going to be sustainable. So a couple of things. We watched the president repeat the line and say something extremely, um, uh, I would say, ill-advised, repeat instructions in the prompter. And then you think Jill Biden's got to go try to mend fences with the one ethnic group they seem to be losing more, mm-hmm. shedding sport by, by the day. Here's Jill Biden's remarks in San Antonio Monday. Cut Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio <laughs> is your strength. I mean, what do, what do you say about that? The Bogodas? And this is when Bodega is in the news? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, it's amazing. Someone wrote that down, right? This, politicians make gas when they go off, off script. This was, was on script. Someone wrote it down and put it in a teleprompter. I guess it was a teleprompter and, and thought it was a good idea. So painful, so cringeworthy. Now, look, I, I give her the, um, uh, the, the, the credit. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, I, I'm not going to condemn her as a racist. They would, as they would any Republican who said such idiotic and insensitive and dumb things. But the bigger story here is just how Hispanic voters are uh, roading away under their feet. And there was a poll today, I think, that showed that Democrats have higher level of support among college-educated whites than they do among ethnic voters. And that, that's just an extraordinary trend. And we've seen it growing the last uh, couple of years ago, and it might 
think might be the most seismic shift in our domestic politics. Uh, absolutely. There was a quick apology after, but even the view ripped them. Listen to this. Cut four. You think somebody might have read the speech beforehand and said, maybe you don't want to say it like this. Yeah. But this is, you know, I, I, I won't even say what, I, what it is because, it's you know, we all step in poops from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so this happens. But this was really, you can hear the people going, it was a racial stereotype that she, she used racial stereotypes. So I don't know who wrote that for, her, but and it was such an unforced error. Hear the humor. We get it. We understood what you were trying to do, and just try not to do it again. Hmm. And today, <laughs> right? Good tolerance. They are such a tolerant bunch. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it wasn't. Re- I mean, who says you're you're as diverse as the tacos? I mean, it's. I mean, it's. What does that even mean? Are are, are breakfast tacos diverse? I don't even know. You know, I thought the same basic formula. I mean, they're delicious, but I thought the same basic idea everywhere. Well, a a couple other things too. I thought the president missed an opportunity with Arbador. We have a disaster on the border, like I've never seen in my lifetime, and I don't think you have either. And you could go up to the Mexican leader and say, you have to get those 20,000 Marines back on your southern border. You have to control your northern border because it's costing me my presidency. It's costing lives. It's having drugs flooded in. Instead, they make nice. Instead, he should have got rebuked for embarrassing the president by not showing up at the America's conference in California. Instead, we get this. Cut 11. And it's also indispensable, and I say this in a very sincere fashion, in the most respectful manner. It is indispensable for us to regularize and give certainty to migrants that have, uh, for years, uh, lived and worked uh, in a very honest manner, and who are also contributing to the development of this great nation. I know that your adversaries, the conservatives, are going to be screaming all over the place, even to heaven. They're going to be yelling at heaven. But without a daring, a bold program of development and well-being, it will not be possible to solve problems. Okay, number one, he's recommending we have a path to citizenship of the people here. Well, why don't we just leave the border open and we can just pick a country every day? Yeah, exactly. Like That's going to really help stop this flow. And this is another area, Brian, where counterintuitively Trump um, got more cooperation from Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries, in part because he was willing to you know, rattle sabers and be really tough on them. And then, and then when they came to the table, work with them. And you know, it's, it's a little deafness involved there, but it's not that hard to understand. They need to fear you at a certain level and understand your seriousness. And then also with, with Mexico and these other countries, there's a domestic political price to be paid if, if they crack down on migrant flows themselves. So they need to know that we're serious about it if they're going to actually go to the trouble of taking these sort of measures we should want them to take. And again, under Trump, they could be sure we were going to take them. And under Biden, obviously, no such thing is true. Yeah, it's not even close to true. And the thing is, I just think it's outrageous that that was considered just to make good from when they really are siding with China. China is in Central and South America. China is in the Middle East. We don't have an option to bail out of it. And he's got to realize that at some point. Uh, I find it just unbelievable, as almost unbelievable as this, Rich. Pushing my luck, one more topic. Senator Josh Hawley in an exchange I just can't get my head around. Cut 24 with a Berkeley professor there to talk about Roe v. Wade. Cut 24. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? 
many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so get you pregnant. are denying that trans people exist? Thank and that leads to violence? What do I, what, Rich, this is what your debate, you've seen so many debates, I've read what your, your columns over the years. Now we're going to debate who's going to be open to non-gender politics that, that also destroy our history. You have to be uh, dismissive of our history and take down a statue or two. What are they doing here? Yeah, so th- th- this is just uh, another sign. When you, when you get this sort of academic speak out into uh, the, the rest of the world, it, it's insane. And I don't know who this woman is. I mean, she might even be moderate by the the standards of academia now, but it, it makes no sense what she's trying to say. Everyone that she's referring to are, are, are women. They, they're, they're women. They're biologically women. That, that's, that's why they have uteruses, and that's why they can have children. And her condescension was uh, amazing and kind of hilarious. And then this move, which they, they all make, that if you don't agree with them, you are violent. You're promoting violence. You want people to commit suicide and, and uh, commit acts of harm against them. And that's just a bullying, coercive move. And it's not true. I mean, no one's listening to a, a Senate hearing on C-SPAN and deciding whether they're depressed or not. They're, they're just, they just aren't. So the, the problem with this, though, obviously, it's not just limited academia anymore. It's seeping out into the mainstream discourse and, and po- poisoning our minds. And we have a, a Supreme Court justice who says, I don't know what a woman is, and that's okay. No one even talks about that anymore. Yeah, and and you know, just because she she's pandering to this kind of sentiment and has been uh, uh, convinced by by this sort of sentiment. So I thought it was great. I don't know why the other side thinks you know she she was um, uh, won the exchange. I, I, you know, if you put you show that two minute clip to to most people, you know, seventy percent of the country would side with Holly, and that's and that's where the Democrats are on cultural issues in general. They're just on, on the, the losing minority radical side of, of a whole host of issues like this. Everybody tells me that. Match Lab says that. Rich Lowry says that. You know, I talk to all the, the I, don't, I haven't seen any indication that Democrats are upset by these statements, by these pronouns, by this, uh, by the gender choosing. I've not seen, I haven't seen any Democrats stand up and say, I love our history. I love our founding fathers, uh, despite the, uh, being imperfect people. I haven't seen any of that. I see silence. So we're, we're, I yeah. guess we're going to be about to find part, out. Yeah. But everyone, but most Republicans agree with you that, that that statements like that don't speak for the Democratic Party. I'm hopeful they don't for the good of the country. I'm fearful they do. Oh, yeah. No, look, the, the, the ma- mainstream Democrats are kowtowing to this. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, you hear voices like Van Jones at CNN, some of the moderate uh, House Democrats who are under threat, like Abigail Spann. 
burger down in Virginia. Like, we got to stop this stuff. It's insane. It turns people off. But they are they are minority voices. There's no doubt about it. And, and lastly, 9.1 percent uh, inflation is pretty hard to spend. You know, there's there's a, there's montages now on the Internet. Talk about all the times that President Biden, Jen Psaki, all of his economic team have said this is transitory. It's, it's going to pop up and it's going to go away. Now we're at a 40 year high inflation. Everybody listening to me right now, they say on average, family of four pay an extra four hundred sixty dollars just in food costs a month. So everybody's affected by this by that number, Rich. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Now, the number might get lower later in the year, but it's still going to be elevated um, by historical standards and still is going to mean the Fed is going to have to tighten more. And, and this is, you know, there, there's a great column in the Wall Street Journal today by this economics writer, Greg, Greg Ipp. Everyone banking on a soft landing, maybe it happens, but the odds are probably against it. So, you know, there's a chance that inflation will continue to be high and the Fed has to continue to turn the screws. And we already have an economy with some indications that's slowing down and the, the chances of the, of the Fed not dipping in, in into the recession into recession probably aren't high. So I mean, th- this the economy amazingly could get worse for Biden before it gets better. And you wrote a column just and about he, DeSantis being uh, the headline is uh, DeSantis not isn't worse than Trump. What do you mean? Well, whenever there's a new Republican on the scene, immediately he's worse than than what, whatever the last Republican was on the scene. So you have a bunch of people saying, "Oh, Ron DeSantis, he's a threat to democracy. He's deeply authoritarian and, and illiberal." And I, I would criticize some things he's done in Florida, but he, he's basically a standard Republican who's just combative with the media and with the cultural left in a way that I think is is appropriate. So th- this is strikes me as just an absurd line of argument. Go get him, uh, Rich. Always uh, appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a great week. We're going to come back, and I've just gotten reports that you need to know more. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Brittany Griner, she is in Russia. She's been there over 110 days. Now, how can she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? Really? That's LeBron James, and it makes me wonder if I need to know more about this and more. More to know. So LeBron James comes out and makes a statement like that. Brittany Griner, I wouldn't even know if I want to go back to America. That's all she wants to do, as you know, playing basketball in Russia, arrested and pled guilty. We don't know if she actually is or not to having some foreign substance, illegal substance uh, on her body going through an airport. Uh, Here's Leo Terrell in the response. What is amazing to me is LeBron James, uh, who's made a billion dollars in this country, in which he's recommending Britney turn her back on. What's the problem? Name the reason why Britney's not back. It's Joe Biden. And LeBron James' basketball skills, Sean, doesn't translate into diplomatic skills. Spell out what he wants Biden to do. If he thinks he is so powerful and influential, do something himself. I agree, because as Allison brought up here in our show, he has so much influence in China. Have China lean on Russia and say, get it out. Get him out of here. Uh, give her a break. Uh, maybe the greatest uh, female basketball player ever. Not that that matters, but she's in the prime of her career and she's stuck in a Russian cell. 
And now he's just clarified the story. He said, my comments on The Shop, which is his show on HBO, regarding Brittany Griner wasn't knocking our beautiful country. I was simply saying how she's probably feeling emotionally along with so many other emotions, et cetera, inside the cage she's been in for 100-plus days. Long story short, bring her home. He tweeted, adding, hashtag free BG. Unbelievable. Why, why can't he ever be positive on anything? The guy is so bitter and angry. For a guy that has it all, literally. I mean, what you're talking about—a billionaire now, basically. He's made—he's made how much money? He's, this right. country has made Got him movies, what he is. He's a, he's a world. He's a global name. He's, he's a global he, he, enterprise. He's blowing up teams, getting his son yeah. into the NBA. Yep. Next, Tiger Woods just does not understand why the Live Tournament exists. He takes a swipe at Greg Norman, who's the CEO. Greg Norman's disinvited from the British Open ceremonies. And then here's Tiger Woods on why he will not play for the Saudi back league, cut 27. As far as the second part of uh, your question about the the players who have chosen to go to live and, and to play on to play there, I, I disagree with it. I think that uh, what they've done is they've, they've turned our, their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. Some players have never got a chance to even experience it. Uh, they've, they've gone right from the amateur ranks right into you know, that organization um, and never really got a chance to, to play out here and, and what it feels like to play a tour schedule or, or to um, play in some big events. So that's Tiger getting ready for the British Open. I hope he does well. The 15-time major champion uh, took a swipe at Greg Norman, says he tried to do this once before. It's true. He's a uh, high-profile guy. have come over, I think, 21 of the top. How many? 21 of the top 75 players? Yeah. Are? Okay, so some of the names, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka. Uh, you know about Phil Mickelson. You know about Sergio Garcia. So we'll see. This is competition. It's good. Three rounds instead of four rounds. I hope the guys can play in both leagues. They compete with each other. And I think it's just better for the sport. What do you think? Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.